but I believe what we need more than anything else, uh, and what the thing that's actually going to make us want to pray, uh, is to fall in love with Jesus. To put it real clearly, um, because remember I said just to keep it simple. Uh, yesterday was it says Jesus and all that He's done for us is set before us, and we get a hold of that. Prayer is just a natural response to that, okay? So I'm trying to keep it simple, but also keep the main thing the main thing. And where do we find out about Jesus? In the Bible. That's why you go to large group. You hear your campus minister preach about Jesus. And the Spirit uses that and impacts your heart. That's why you came to the summer conference, hopefully. Your heart's being warmed to the gospel. That's why you have community and small groups and all of those things. Get around Jesus, okay? That's really the first point. Uh, that's really the whole first day. Uh, and we're going to continue a little bit along that lines uh, this morning. So, if you look on your outline, we're on uh, B, uh, faith. And I can't remember what page. You may have a page number for me. Page two. So we're looking at the gospel of prayer, and we looked at the word uh, of God, how it drives it, um, and the gospel kind of fuels our prayer life. We talked about that yesterday, and we're going to talk about how faith, and so this kind of answers the question, okay, so um, what's the motivation for our prayer? That, that leads really to the second thing under this uh main point number three of the gospel and prayer is faith. Um, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter one again. We're going to look at that passage one more time because this is one of Paul's prayers. And remember my point, Paul got caught up, the apostle Paul, in Jesus, remember the run on sentence thing. And it led him immediately, he burst forth in prayer. And that's my point, okay, for the first day. Second thing, though, is this idea of faith. And so, can I get someone to read Ephesians 1, 15 through 22, one more time? We're going to look at that portion. Anybody willing to stand and read that for us this morning? Okay, can you stand up and read? Follow along, we're going to talk about this, okay? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Thank you. Okay, this is an incredible section of Scripture, and I, and I want us to think about what was read in these terms. Uh, when you think about your prayer, what do we often pray for? Not what you should be praying for, but what, what are most of our prayers, what are they uh, consumed with? If we're honest, most days. Us. Lots of supplication, lots of uh, requests. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? We're going to talk about that. That's a part of prayer. But oftentimes, that's the main thing, okay? Uh, oftentimes, our, the core of our prayer life centers on getting what we want from Christ, okay? I'm going to say it this way. Getting what we want from God rather than taking hold of what we already have in Jesus. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, the center of our prayers are on getting what we want rather than taking hold of what we already have. And what we see here is that our prayer life comes alive not when we get all the boxes checked on our prayer request list or our prayer journal or whatever it is that you use, possibly. That's not where the power for prayer and the fuel for prayer comes from. No, we pray, and, it, and we're going to work this out, when we perceive by faith all that is already ours in Jesus. Look at verse 19. What do we already have? If you're a Christian, Paul says some things in verse 19 that you already have because of Christ. Let's look at that. If you notice that verse, look at it on your phone or in your Bible. Paul piles up for us the enormity of, of power by using all of these adjectives and synonyms for power. And in summary, he says that the power you have, if you have faith in Jesus, is incomparable. It's impossible to comprehend. In verse 19... The word for power there, follow along with me, it's amazing what Paul does. The word for power is the word that we get dynamite from. So it's this raw power and strength. The word working in verse 19 is where we get the word energy. And so it gets at this inworking and suggests this inward propulsion of power. Great, the word great, or some of your translations might say might. That gets at the ability to conquer. The word strength or might in your translation in verse 19 refers to physical force. You get the picture? Paul is saying that the power we have in Christ is unfathomable. And then what's interesting is look at verses 20 through 23. He says, now let me show you where this power is seen. This is amazing. Verse 20. It's seen in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, you know what Paul says? The same spirit that lives in you, if you profess faith in Christ... It's the same spirit, think about this, don't let this pass you by. It's the same spirit that rose.
from the dead. That's, that's power. Second thing, verse 20, the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of the Father. The power that seated Jesus above all the other powers next to God the Father in heaven is inside of you. Third place we see it in this passage, 21 through 23, the headship of Christ over all the church. Jesus conquered all his and all our enemies for the sake of the church. Okay, here it is. The Apostle Paul here is saying that that is something that you already have. And that what we should be praying for, and he says it here to the Ephesians, is that the eyes of our heart, our hearts would be enlightened so that we can fully grasp that. So one of the things we should always be praying for is that the eyes of our hearts, that we would perceive by faith all that is ours in Jesus. Vincent Van Gogh once said that being an artist involves grasping life at its depth. Paul is saying that being a Christian involves grasping life in Christ at its death. This is our most pressing prayer. This should be our most pressing plea. But oftentimes, here's what we do. We go looking for a better power source, don't we? And we say things like, I just need to find that silver bullet and then life will finally work for me. Or my prayer life will finally take off. Or we go searching for a more emotional experience. Or a second blessing of the Spirit. Or we go looking for a more lively praise and worship service so that we can feel it. Or we want a second gift or an extra gift or a second blessing from the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want us to see again. Paul does not wish something extra for you. Paul wants you and I to get what we've got already in Jesus. Thomas Chalmers, if you uh, have looked at church history uh, at all, you'll recognize that name. He was the founder of the Free Church of Scotland. And he understood this. Uh, for eight years, he pastored a church in Kilmeny, Scotland. And for eight years, he set before the people... Law and morality week after week. Somewhere around 1811, that changed for him. And he realized that the power was not in behaving, but the power was actually in believing. And so for the next four years, he would come in to his church and put before his people the wonders and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And there was a person... In his congregation before 1811 and after 1811, and listen to what they say. Said Chalmers would bend over the pulpit and he would press us to take the gift as if he held it in his hand and would not be satisfied until every single one of us had taken possession of it. And often when the sermon was over and the psalm was sung, he would rise to pronounce the benediction. And he would break out afresh with some new entreaty, unwilling to let any of us go until he made one more effort 
to persuade us to accept it. You see, Chalmers knew, just like the Apostle Paul here, that growing in the glories and perceiving by faith what is yours is the key to taking out the old affections in your heart and replacing them with, with new ones. Friends, it's not enough to dismantle your idols. Yes, we need to dismantle your idols, but if you don't replace it with a new, better affection, Jesus, then there's just going to be a new idol that grows in its place. You with me? And so we've got to grow in the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And what Paul is doing here is he's not bending over the pulpit. He's bending over the throne of grace and pleading with us. Lord, enlighten their eyes. Help us to see how much we have in Jesus. Because that is the power to new affections exploding in your heart. And so we need to pray, don't we? I need to pray. As we think about our prayer life, that our eyes would be enlightened and that we would see and savor Jesus because that is the fuel. That is the key to a vibrant prayer life. Number four, the prayer in Trinity. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, 22, not 22, 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. What's interesting about that verse? That is actually God talking, okay? What's interesting is you just see it. Us. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but God refers to himself in the plural, not the singular. He says us, and so here's what we learn, okay? Hang with me, because this is, this is another thing that I was really uh, impactful for me as I prepared for this seminar. From the very beginning of the Bible, we know that the Christian God, the God of the Bible, exists in community. It's what Christians for thousands of years have referred to as the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're in such harmony with one another that it is one God, it should be referred to as one God in three persons. There is no greater picture of community and harmony and love than the one we see in the Bible between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship of love. There's no anger. There's no jealousy between them, no hurt feelings. It's a perfect friendship. And in the Trinity, they are infinitely happy and perfectly filled with joy. And so, that, that's in hang with me here, okay? Why is that important and what does that mean? Well, God did not create us. He did not create you because he needed to be loved and needed more joy. Why? Because of the Trinity. Because he's already got that. 
So he created human beings not because he needed more love and he was lonely and was like, I need somebody to hang out with. So why did he create us? Because he wants to share that joy that he has in the Trinity with us. He wants us to take part in that. Friends, that is absolutely amazing. God wants us, and prayer is a way for us to enter into the joy and the happiness and the harmony of the Trinity. That might be a little hard to get your mind around, but think about that for a second. That's pretty amazing. So we're going to go through, and I think this is important, and talk about each aspect of the Trinity. God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and their role in prayer and how it affects our prayer life. Because that's what prayer is, inviting us into that, into a relationship with God, okay? God the Father, hey, turn with me in your Bible, a little bit of Bible drill, sorry, but I want to, that's what we need. We need to look at the scriptures. So look at Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 1, and we're going to kind of walk through this. Different parts of this chapter. Luke 11, verse 1. And you'll see that Jesus was with his disciples, and when they had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he launches in, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow or the next day, about the Lord's Prayer and how that is a model for us in our own prayers. But we're not going to go there yet, but here's what I want you to notice. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And look at what Jesus says to them. When you pray, begin your prayers with our Father, hallowed be thy name. Isn't that interesting? Think about this. The first thing Jesus wants us to know about God is that he is Father. That's the first and most basic lesson in prayer. That is the relationship that Jesus the Son has always enjoyed with the Father. He's now sharing with us. Okay? That's That's amazing. And that is what transforms our prayer. Because you think about God and our instinct is to think God being transcendent and He really is transcendent and He's really holy and He's also judged. But Jesus comes into the picture and He brings this holy God into becoming an open-armed Father. And he invites us, in fact, think about this, he commands us to start our prayers with our Father. And when you think of that term Father, a perfect Father, you think of someone who delights to hear from you, who also wants to help you. Keep reading, look at verse 5, this is very interesting. So right after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11, verse 5 says, this is the friend at midnight, he says, suppose you have a friend. You can track with me there, 
can look, we won't read it, but you can follow along. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend. And so one of the things that we see here, okay, think about the context of this, is that prayer is enjoying and pleading for the friendship and the assistance of God. And if you look at that passage, you notice that the, the friend doesn't immediately grant the request, does he, for bread. And what do we to take away from that? Well, here's what you take away. It's that God the Father wants you to persevere in your prayers. You see that idea of ask, seek, and knock? In the original language, in, in other passages, that, that same section, ask, seek, and knock, uh, the tense of the verb gets at the idea of perseverance because it literally reads keep asking keep knocking keep seeking okay so it's this the, the point here is perseverance could God give us what we need without asking absolutely because he does that what 90% of the time right God gives you lots of good things without you ever asking him by his grace. So what does that mean, this friend at midnight? This is amazing. God, the God of fellowship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit wants fellowship with you. And so he wants you to persevere. He wants you to argue his promises and his character with him so that that becomes a conscious reality for you. How do you grow in prayer? By persisting in prayer. Because then you start to appreciate God as our friend and you realize that all blessings actually flow from Him. I love Luke 11. Keep looking down. Verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Which of you fathers, he's getting at this idea of uh, the incredible grace and father that we have. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead. What's the point? If earthly fathers would not give their children anthrax, even if they're really bad fathers, they would not do that because they're their son, they're their son or daughter. He's basically saying, how much more? If that's what the worst fathers would be gracious to their sons in some ways and daughters in some ways, how much more can we expect from God, the Father of lights, in whom there is no darkness at all? Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. The Lord says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Think about Matthew chapter 6. Okay? Matthew chapter 6. On the section on worry. Consider the birds of the air and how God feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field and how God clothes them. Consider the hairs on your head. God knows every single one of them. What's the point? You trust Him. He's near. He's good. 
Okay, now here's my question. Why is that important for prayer? Why is that important? Now, give me some, somebody, give me a couple comments. Anybody? don't necessarily want to talk to someone that doesn't want to listen. Yes! God is saying, come! Quit beating the heck out of yourself. Quit always feeling guilty and making and that being the thing that makes you run away from me. He's saying, I'm a good father. Come to me. I'm attentive. I want to hear from you. It is so important that, again, you see where, I'm, where we're going in this prayer seminar. We've got to understand who God is and that He actually wants to hear from sinners. Because if we don't get that, we're not going to pray. Because the minute we blow it, we're going to think, well, I can't go to Him. You can. And that makes all the difference. It makes us want to go to God and pray. Two quotes there on your outline. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes a father, God the Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it, this is very strong, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. J.I. Piker and Knowing God. The chapter Sons of God is one of the best chapters uh, in that book. And um, that's where that quote comes from. Second quote. It may be that your heart is cold. Your love is weak. And your prayers are shabby. But what matters is that united to Christ and in Him. You are a cherished son. And your father delights to hear from you. That's that little yellow book I held up. Michael Reeves and Join Your Prayer Life. Okay, so it makes us want to come to Him, but there are also two other implications you can see on your outline. What that means, if God is Father, it, just to kind of say it uh, in form of an illustration, is that you have access. That He is attentive to you and wants to hear from you. Think of it this way. What would it take for you to get in to see the President of the United States? Who would be the people that would have... President Obama's attention, or any president, who would get his attention? People that have power, people um, that know other people that have accomplishments and credentials and power on their own, that's who gets in to see the president and gets his attention. But what about his girls? What about his children? I'm going to tell you, with his children, they have access anytime they want. They can walk into the Oval Office for the most part, unless there's some huge meeting, but for the most part, anytime that they feel like it, they can get right in. Think about God. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 says that the God of the universe is mindful of you. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. How much more free, then, are you 
in coming to the throne of grace. Perspective and suffering. This God idea of God and Father helps us as we think about the hard things in our life and our difficulties. Because think about this way. Instinctively, when things don't go your way or things don't work out for you, our instinct is to think that God's asleep at the wheel. God, why are you doing this? Where are you? I thought you loved me. You see, the premise there is wrong. Because that premise is this. If God loved us, then He wouldn't let us suffer and go through hard things. That's the wrong premise according to the Bible. Think about it this way. I told you yesterday I've got four girls, uh, ten and under, and so we have to get the annual flu shot. And I don't know when this all happened, but I'd never... Until I had children, I didn't know that there was actually a flu mist. Y'all know about the flu mist, so you don't have to take the shot, so it's great for kids. And it's been awesome, because our girls don't have to get all anxious about getting the shot, they can get the mist. So we make an appointment with our pediatrician, and they let us bring all the girls in at one time. So my wife Susie... They took all the girls in in October for their annual flu shot or miss. No problem. Well, they're all lined up in the doctor's office in the uh, room. And the nurse comes in and says, I've got bad news. We're out of the mist. And we have the shot. And we're ready to give you the shot. And they looked at my wife Susie and without hesitation, and if you know Susie, this is her, and she's kind of tough and like, just suck it up and this will be okay. <laughs> and she, they looked at her and said, you know, what do you want to do? She says, oh, the shots, no question, bring them in. <laughs> and so, my girls look at my wife Susie and you could see it in their eyes saying, what are you about to let happen to us? Did you just say, bring the shots in? My girls, when they heard no miss shot, and Susie, their mom saying, yes, let's do this, it was not good. And they're looking at my wife thinking, why are you letting us go through this? Particularly my four-year-old, okay? My four-year-old has no categories for immune systems and bacteria and flu and viruses, and so very hard for her to understand why my wife would say yes to something that's going to hurt her. But, it is deeply wrong for us to conclude that Susie does not love the girls because she is letting something painful happen to them. Because think about it, it's actually quite the opposite, isn't it? She is letting something painful happen happen to them for a time precisely because she does love them. She wants to protect them from getting the flu and letting them get really, really sick. Even deathly sick, possibly. Some of you are in the middle of very hard things. I know we've got uh, Georgia here this week and they lost three students, four students, uh, to a horrible car accident a few weeks ago that totally has rocked that campus. Others of you, I don't know, maybe you had got the phone call um, from home 
home that stopped you dead in your tracks. Your mom and I are getting a divorce. Or, honey, I've got cancer. Or, I hate to tell you this, but your grandmother just passed away. Or maybe you had your dreams all set to get into a certain graduate school or medical school or whatever, and the door seems to be closing. Or maybe it's a painful breakup. Or maybe you seem really good on the outside and people think you've got it all together, but on the inside you feel like you're actually coming apart. Why are those things happening? I have no idea. I don't understand. God doesn't tell us. But here's what I do know. Is that God is a good father. Is that God loves his children. And so rather than thinking that God is trying to hurt us, is it not possible that God as a good father who is all-knowing and wise and loving and powerful who brings storms into our life, things that we don't understand in order to teach us and change us and to help us grow and mature and trust Him. God is Father. Secondly, we see that God, the Son, is also part of this idea of the prayer and Trinity. Uh, Jesus was always praying. And I want you to think about this. Jesus is Lord, the Bible says. He, he is the Christ, the anointed one. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. But if you look at the Gospels, and you should read through the Gospels this summer, and make notes on how often it talks about Jesus praying. He's God in the flesh. And he was praying literally all the time. When he was joyful, he prayed. When he was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was going to the cross, remember that? Before he knows he's going to die, he goes and literally sweating blood. He is in such agony as he's praying. He prayed when he made decisions to appoint the apostles. He Pray when he was dying. In a sense, Jesus' last words were a prayer. You remember, it's hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He prayed so much that his disciples, that's what we just read in Luke 11, finally look at him and say, teach us. Teach us how to pray. And so he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, which we will definitely talk about. But here's what I want us to see about Jesus was always praying. He's not only a model of what it looks like to pray without ceasing, and just always to pray about everything and in every situation, but he's also showing us dependence. Remember John 5, 19, the Son can do nothing apart from the Father. He's always dependent upon His Father. Everything flows out of His communion with the Father. And Jesus, in a sense, is saying that prayer is learning to enjoy what the Son has always enjoyed. 
In a sense, Jesus is saying, come with me to be with the Father. Let me show you what that is like. That leads us to praying in Jesus' name. Why do we have to pray in Jesus' name? Why do we? It's not a magic formula that we put on the end of the prayer. It often kind of gets reduced to that. It's something we say, but it's God, Jesus actually commands us to pray in his name. So, why, though? Anybody? Can we take a stab at it? Okay, good. Anybody want to add to that? Why else is it important? The reason God has to listen to us. Okay, yeah, good. So I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, people had a sense that they were flawed and needed something to done about their sin. And back then, before Jesus came, what did they have to do? There was this thing called the temple, and there was a priest, and what would the priest do? Sacrifices. Bring in an animal and shed the blood and say, God, forgive us for our sin. How often did they have to do that? A lot. Over and over, this repeated, you would go and you would be cleansed as you submitted your sacrifice to God to atone for your sins. All of that point, pointed forward to Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. The ultimate mediator. He is the ultimate priest. He is the one that closed that gap once and for all. So that we don't have to just repeatedly keep going and offering sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all for our sin so that we could know God as friend and father. I'll keep working this out. A couple quotes. You can see on your outline. Because in Jesus, God became human. He's not only the God on the other side of the chasm. He is the bridge over the gap. Thus, he is the mediator of a new relationship with God that cannot fail because, this is huge, it cannot fail because it's not based on your faithfulness, it's based on his. That leads us again to that topic of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray in his name. A couple other quotes. Prayers in in his name are prayers in recognition that they... That the, only, that the only approach to God, the only way to God, is Jesus himself. That's the whole John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other quote uh, by Keller there. In the vast majority of cases, I love this. This answers some questions maybe that you have. Prayer is addressed to the Father. Almost all cases in the Bible. There are some exceptions. While it's not at all improper to address the Son or the Spirit, ordinarily prayer will be addressed to the Father with gratitude to the Son and dependence upon the Spirit. That shows you to kind of how prayer works with the Trinity there. 
And so basically this praying in Jesus' name is about qualification and access. Think of it this way. Let's say you're in the presence of a celebrity. Okay, let's say you go to one of these award shows and you're on the red carpet and you got there early and you're lined up and they're your favorite celebrity. You see them and they're distracted and kind of chatting up with other people and all of a sudden you're kind of behind one of those ropes, really velvet red ropes or whatever they are and you yell out a name of a friend of theirs. And they turn around and they they hear you say that. They walk up to you immediately and they're interested in you. You know so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they live next to me and whatever. All of a sudden, you've got their attention. You've got their warmth. They're interested in you. How did that happen? It didn't happen because of you. Not because of your name, but because of someone else's name that you got their attention. That's a very dim picture, but a okay picture of what it means to access God as Father. Because we know Jesus, we come in Christ, and because of that, God the Father focuses His love and attention on us as we pray. He wants to hear from us. And so it's not a magic formula and a way to end our prayers. Another way of saying this, that when we come to God in Jesus' name, it reminds us that this is a free gift. It reminds us of the gospel. That we have access, that it was a costly gift from Jesus. What Jesus has done for us, and it reminds us that we are coming to God and it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. Remember on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God. So He's talking to His Father. Why have you forsaken me? You see that? Jesus lost His relationship with His Father. So that you and I could actually have a relationship with God as Father. That's why we have to pray in Jesus' name. E, the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 16. Sixteen, twelve through fifteen. Turn to John sixteen, twelve through fifteen. Can I get someone to read that? Those three verses stand up and read. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, those are, you got a red letter Bible, those are in red. So that's Jesus speaking. Um, I think this is very important. The role of the Spirit. 
Okay, this is not a, again, you know, there's so much we could talk about. This is not a seminar on the Holy Spirit, but I do think this is important. According to those three verses, how will the Spirit guide you? John 14, 15, and 16, we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. But how will the Spirit guide you according to those three verses? What he hears from the Father. Okay, so he'll guide you in truth, according to his word. What's the second one, verse 14? How would you talk about how he will guide you? Through what? What's his role? Yeah, Jesus saying, glorifying me. Okay, so the Spirit, okay, here it is, summarized. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make much of the Bible, truth, the Father, and much of Jesus. J.I. Packer says the Holy Spirit's ministry is much like a spotlight. What's a spotlight's job? Does it show you yourself? No, the spotlight shines its light on someone else. It directs attention away from you onto someone else. And so the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to point you to the finished work of Jesus. This is important because the Holy Spirit is always attached to Jesus in the Word. Anybody ever read the book, Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung? It's a great little book if you, particularly if you're struggling, struggling with decision making, what you're going to do after college, and all those kinds of things. That probably have it on the book table. It's a good read and a quick read. It's a great little book. I would recommend it. He has this great illustration in the book about how we abuse the Spirit's guidance. And so I'm just going to read this little section. Hang with me here. He says, I'll never forget my poor roommate in college talking with me after he had, had taken a risk and told a nice young lady that he liked her. They went on a long walk and he was pretty sure that she would agree with his declaration and reciprocate that affection. But it turned out that she wasn't interested. She was a sweet girl and a good Christian and didn't mean to have bad theology, but instead of just saying, I'm not interested and I don't like you, or quit stalking me, or something like that. She went all spiritual on him. I've been praying about this a lot, and the Holy Spirit told me no. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you feel the same. The Holy Spirit told me no. No? My confused poor roommate asked, no, never? She replied, or no, never, and she said, yes, no, never. I love the Young's comments next. Here's what he says. Poor guy. He got rejected. Not only by this sweet girl, but by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus to tell this girl not to date my roommate. I didn't know that was in the Spirit's job description. <laughs> Listen, that's a funny example, but it's not far off on the ways that people tend to relate to the Holy Spirit. We often tend to separate, and maybe you've experienced this even in your own life or people around you, separate the Spirit from the Word and from Jesus. And when we think about prayer, this is important. 
Because oftentimes we think about our prayer life and we think it's about getting more emotional. I can just feel it and get more emotional. Then I'll know my prayer life's kind of where it needs to be or, or if we have a certain feeling. And listen, not emotions are not bad, okay? Emotions are good. They're God-given. But oftentimes we talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of prayer and it just is getting weird. <laughs> To be quite honest with you, it gets real mystical. And when we do those types of things, the focus then is on who? It's on me. It's all about us. We're self-absorbed, making it about how we feel and getting to a certain place or, again, this idea of a second blessing. And if I could just get to this level, I would have arrived. And it creates this two-tier kind of Christianity. And the Spirit, here's one of the ways you'll know. One of the primary ways you want to know that the Spirit is at work in your life is you become less less self-absorbed. And you make much of Jesus, and you make much of the Bible. That's how you know God's at work in your life. The Spirit's at work in your life, not the other way around. The Spirit's role is not necessarily, I'm not, again, I'm not saying emotions are bad, but the main role is not to necessarily give you a certain feeling, it's to remind you of Jesus' unwavering love for you and what He's done. Now you see how this is all going all the way back to this idea that everything flows out of the gospel. Okay, last thing and then we'll be done. Uh, we're going to end with uh, the Spirit and then we'll get into point five. And we're right on schedule, by the way. So, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think this is probably one of the most encouraging. Romans 8, again, not that one chapter is more inspired than the other, but if you're looking for something to read this week, just go read Romans 8 and just read it over and over. But Romans 8 talks a lot about the Spirit, and look at what he says, Romans 8, 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear, but rather the Spirit you received brought you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, that means Daddy, this is a real personal name, Papa. Father, that's of intimacy. And so the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, next, uh, look at these two quotes here. The Spirit, I love the way this is said by Reeves, is, is the wind in the sails of our prayers as He catches us up in the Son's love for the Father. Making us know we too are loved, he causes us to love as the Son loves. Prayer then is not actually a one-way conversation of us to God, no prayer. No, in prayer, God speaks through us to God. Think about that. Don't let that pass you by. In prayer, God speaks through us to himself. It's kind of a wild way to think about it, but that's what it's saying here. Now, we'll work that out a little bit more. We're brought into the divine fellowship 
were brought into the divine fellowship. The Spirit of the Son, Christ to the Father through us. And then he closes again. The Spirit is the wind and the sails of our prayers. And then Paul goes on in Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Someone said that yesterday. I feel like I've got all of these things inside me that I want to pray, and I really don't know how to get it out and kind of and how to articulate it. That's the Spirit's job, is to help you. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we'll close with this. But I don't, I, I don't know about you, but I find that enormously helpful and comforting as you think about prayer. Because what that tells you is you're not on your own. The Spirit knows that you are weak. The Spirit knows that you struggle to pray. The Spirit knows that oftentimes you don't even know how to pray or what to pray for. And the Spirit's desire as part of the Trinity, is to help you with that. And here's what, again, I love this because it means that you don't have to be a giant in prayer. You don't have to be one of these prayer warriors necessarily that makes these huge resolutions that are out of your league and pretend to be something that you're not. But you can accept where you are. You can accept that often you don't know the words to say or how to say it, or oftentimes it feels like you're just stammering along, trying to figure this out. You don't have to be impressive in prayer. I can't tell you how comforting this is, because basically this is what what it's saying. And, And you should be able to pray this way. Oftentimes we think, when I'm talking about this at the end, we think about we got to go with just the right thing and have this fancy language. You know what prayer is? It is going to God and saying, with this kind of honesty, I'm not good at prayer. I don't even know what to pray. I don't even really know how to pray. Teach me to pray. Intercede for me. With words that I don't even know how to express. Spirit, would you help me? You start praying that prayer, look out. You're going to learn how to pray. But we can pray those kinds of prayers and admit our weakness because of the Spirit interceding for us before the Father. Okay? Keep working this out. You are awesome. Have a great day. I hope the rain goes on.